Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. I am excited about this word. I, this word has been on my heart for the last month and a half, two months, and I've been mulling over it for me. I shared uh, a large piece of this on a Sunday night a few weeks ago, and people were just going, this is so needed. Everybody needs to hear this. And then I looked and goes, oh, look, I'm on the calendar for the Sunday morning. How convenient. And so I am excited to get to share this word with all of you. Could you pass me a water? I'm going to need that. But um, as I look at this, um, I want to talk about how to pass on your faith. And that's my amazing wife, um, who's awesome. Uh, but when I, when I talk about passing on your faith, it's really easy to put this in a box and go, great, this is a message for parents. But this message is for parents, grandparents, mentors, people of influence, people who come into contact with others, followers of Jesus, with an application for those who try to avoid people and for those who don't know Jesus yet. So I think I've got you covered. And if not, I bet you know somebody who I covered, and so you should listen for them. So with that, I was reading my Bible, and I discovered good news, bad news, and then had to figure out what should we do about it. And so the good news was found in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. As we're reading, it says, um, A sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And I was reading this, this statement of Paul, and he's, he's saying, hey, this faith has been passed from one generation to the next to the next. And I looked, I'm like, we can pass our faith on. That is such good news. However, if you read in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it says, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. <clears throat> As you look at this, you go, it can be passed on, but it doesn't automatically happen. And that's what kind of leaves us with this good news, but some bad news. And you go, well, then, then how do I pass it on? How do I make sure that my faith doesn't stop with me? And this isn't just for, for those, those parents, because even if you don't have any kids, your faith shouldn't stop with you. Even if you're an only kid and the rest of your family is gone, you are called to pass on your faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says this. He goes, you've got many guides in Christ, but you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. He speaks of Timothy and he says, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. He took and he goes, it doesn't matter if you're my kids. I'm going to pour my faith into you. I'm going to let my faith uh, be poured into and reflected in the next generation. And that is something that as believers, we are all called to. We are all called to pass our faith on to others, to our children, to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, it speaks of Abraham and it says this, for I have chosen him that 
he command, that, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. And he goes, I have called him so that he can pass it on. And Matthew 28, verse 19, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Lord, uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Over and over, we're called to pass on our faith. This is this huge mission for every believer. In fact, we call it the Great Commission. And as I, I looked at this, I get excited and we don't just have to leave it to chance. We don't just have to go, well, I sure hope that my kids pick it up. I just sure hope that the people at, at work just pick up my faith. No, there's things that we can do. And before I dive into points, I have, I, I have plenty of points and things that we can do to help pass on our faith. But I don't want anyone who has a prodigal, a, a child who doesn't love Jesus, to feel condemned. I don't want you to go, well just must be that I, I, I'm just a horrible human. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. You know who is perfect? God. And he made a perfect world and stuck somebody in it. You know what they did? They sinned right away. And then you look and you go, well, anybody else perfect? You're like, well, well, Jesus was perfect when he came and he had 12 disciples and one of them betrayed him. So if if you have a kid who's, who's not following Jesus, don't feel guilt and shame, but if there's things that you can learn and you can apply, then let's do that. And there are some points, and we'll get to some here, and then I'll have to carry this on on a Sunday night because there's, there's more things that we can do to help pass on our faith than we can cover in a single message. But the first one, if you're taking notes, is be on purpose and be involved. I was looking at 2 Samuel, and there's two guys that come in, or sorry, in 1 Samuel, there's two guys whose stories are, are shocking. Because if you read your Bible, you'll discover that there are amazing people. There are amazing heroes. There's amazing heroes of the faith. But what shocks me is when you have an amazing hero of the faith whose kids are idiots. And you're like, what happened? Like, you are awesome. How come this didn't translate? And, and so you, you find that when you get into the book of, of 1 Samuel and you go through and, and it starts off with Eli, the priest. And Eli is the priest and he is serving God and loving God. But when we read about his kids, we discover that his kids, it says, now the sons of Eli were worthless men and they did not know the Lord. When the Bible calls you worthless, that is seriously a problem. And so, so you have this, but what's really interesting is the way that his story feeds into the next guy's story. So in this book, we find the story of Samuel. Samuel, uh, before, I guess before he was born, his mother was barren. She was praying for a child. She comes um, to the tabernacle and she is praying and she is praying for, for a child, has this encounter with Eli and he thinks she's drunk and she's just pouring out her heart and she goes, I'm not, I'm not drunk. I'm just praying. He goes, fine. Well, may God grant your request. But in her prayer, she said, God, if you give me a child, I will give you that child. That child will serve you all of their days. And she got pregnant. And so she has the baby. And she goes, well, God, I made a promise. And I'm going to keep my promise. Once the child is weaned, this child is yours. 
to serve you all of his days. And so I, I don't know how long she could stretch out weaning the child, but eventually it had to come to a close. And she brings them to, to, to Eli at the, at the tabernacle there. And, and so he comes. So remember, Eli, great man of God, his kids did not love Jesus. Samuel shows up. And you know who raises Samuel? Eli. But Samuel loves the Lord. And I look at it, I say, well, what made the difference? And you might be able to go through and go, it was mama. Mama was praying. And what she did in those years before she, she weaned him was so powerful. And you're not wrong. But I think there's more. And as I looked, I was like, well, what, what made this difference? And as you begin to look at their, their stories, you begin to see that Eli had a very prominent role, but you don't see anything of his kids until they're messing things up, until it's stating that they don't love the Lord and they're not putting God first. But when you look at Samuel, where is Samuel? Samuel's in the midst of serving God with him. He is working side by side with Eli. Eli's helping him. Eli's correcting him. Eli is teaching him. And Samuel got a hold of the faith. Samuel got a hold of this and encountered God. But Samuel got busy. Samuel had a huge role. And if you look, he became like the most influential person of his day. And so you see him and he's doing great things and he has kids, but you don't hardly hear anything about his kids. Because what Samuel was doing and what his kids were doing was, was different. He didn't seem to be very involved because he was so busy. And then eventually you hear this. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. And I'm like, man, so sad. This awesome man of God. I'm like, Why? And then I found something as you look forward and you're going through the, the books of the kings, you find all these great, great leaders got really busy and many of them passed off raising their kids. Check this out. In 1 Kings chapter, chapter 10, you find, it talks about one of these kings, he had 70 kids, which is a lot of kids. Um, and no, it wasn't one woman who had to birth them, it, but that led to other problems as there's lots of, um, lots of wives. But here, here's what you catch. He passes off raising his kids because he's the king and he's busy to the elders of a different city. And he's like, you guys raise them and help them out. You guys are pretty smart. I'm going to do my thing. And when I begin to look at that, I'm like, well, no wonder you, you don't see faith getting passed on. And so often as you read through the book of, of Chronicles or the book of Kings, it goes through and it gives report cards for the kings. And like, as you started, it's like, and they became king and they served the Lord and they reigned 25 years. And then you get to the next one. It's like, and his son became king and he did not walk in his ways, but he walked in the ways of, and it goes through and talks about how he did evil. And I look, I'm like, okay, this is awful, but it's because the, they didn't pour into them. They let somebody else raise their kids. And it's really easy when you have a thousand plus years of perspective and their whole story written out to cast judgment. 
Because you see how things turn out, and you're like, well, that was dumb. Well, yeah, obviously, because you saw where it led. But when I, I looked, I said, you know, I don't think that this problem has gone away. Now, hopefully, you don't have 70 kids with a plethora of wives. If so, that's, that's a problem. But, but what, I, what I did see is that our world has not gotten less busy, and there's a tendency to leave raising of the kids to schools, to sports teams, to TV, and then to turn around shocked because our children reflect the school, teams, and TV's attitudes and viewpoints. And it's, it's sad. But are we involved? Are we, are we making, passing on our faith a priority or have we said somebody else can just do that for me? Some, somebody else will raise them. Well, I, 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 I took them to church some, so isn't that enough? Won't the, the youth pastor take over for me? Won't the, and, and we have a role to play and we can't pass it off. And I know if there's some parents who are like, that's why I'm homeschooling. Good for you. I know there's other parents who go, that's not even an option. And I just want to give this encouragement. Whether you homeschool, whether you send your kids to public school, whether your grandkids are being sent to a public school, you have a job to do. You are called to be involved in your kids and in raising your kids. My wife went to a school board meeting the other day because it's really easy to think and to know there is crazy stuff happening in our public schools. And most of us would all agree and have heard of crazy things happening in public schools. The problem is that most of us think that these crazy things are happening in a public school far, far away. We're like, yes, somewhere in California, there's an awful public school. And you're like, you're not wrong, I'm sure, but... I bet there's one a lot closer to home too. And my, my wife went to uh, the board meeting for the school because they said, hey, they're putting out written porn in the school and giving it to kids. And other people are like, well, yeah, 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 but not, not my school. Have you checked? Are you involved? Because just because you can't homeschool them doesn't mean you can't be involved. In fact, there was, she said it was shocking how few parents there were and how few were involved at the board meeting. But even as they begin to voice things, it began to make a difference. And at that school, it began to make a change. There's a, a slide going up. Um, hopefully they have the slide. Yes. So if you're going, hey, I don't know what's in the schools. I want to help. Booklook.info will give you a rating of these books that are in a lot of the public schools. There's a list of websites that is on the screen if you want to take a picture of it with a bunch of our local schools that you can look through their library and go, hey, what is it that they have in their, their library? And if you don't find your school, well, this lets you know you can. You can find your school. You can look it up. Be involved. And don't, let, don't just pass off pouring into the next generation. And for those who say, yeah, but I don't even have kids. I don't have grandkids. Well, if you pay taxes, be involved. Um, and then there's someone else who's going, well, I don't even do that yet. I don't have any property. But you can be on purpose where you are. 
When I was in college, I got a job in a call center, not exactly the world's greatest job, but it paid. And we're sitting there and you get like this sheet of paper, a ruler, a pen, and a phone, and then some appointment sheets. And you're just making phone calls and you cross it off and you get, go to the next one and, and you're, you're doing this, but you're in a circle full of people doing the exact same thing. And we would have conversations in between, while the phone's ringing because you spend half the day with a ringing phone. And so you, you dial, you lift your phone up like this so everyone knows that you're waiting for it, but you're not on the phone quite yet. You start a conversation, and as soon as you get a hello, you're like, hello, and you just roll with your script. Well, during that time, as you're just kind of flipping and playing with the phone here, they're talking, and they're all like, you'll never be like, what'd you do this weekend? Like, oh, man, I got so wasted, I don't even know what I did. What? Like, all I remember was puking in the morning. You're like, how is that? Anyways, but... They're going through and they're just boasting about all their stuff and they're making it around the circle. It's like, so what'd you do this weekend? And I'm like, man, I went to church and it was awesome. <laughs> and they're all like, weird. They weren't sure how to handle it. And they gave me a hard time for a while until their life got hard. And because I didn't just wait and hope that maybe somehow they could know that I was a Christian I was very, I didn't like come here. You got to be a Christian and shove it on their throat. But, but I was, I was bold. I told them about church. I invited people to church and eventually they'd come up to me and go, Hey, you're at church. Could you pray for me? This is what's happening. And I began to get to pray with different people from around the office. I, I kept inviting people and saw people come to church. I saw people get saved because I was willing to be intentional. I was willing to be involved and to be present there. Number two, model it. First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, verse one. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me. We read Genesis 18, verse 19. It says, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him. After him is so key because it is really easy to command your children by pointing. You should do that. But to command them after him means he goes, you should do this. And that he is setting the example that he wants them to follow. And as, as someone who wants to pass on our faith, we have to be example setters. I was thinking about how did my parents pass on their faith? If you don't know this, Pastor Dwayne is my father. And I look around our family, and I'm a pastor on staff here. My brother pastors, my, my brother, both my brothers pastor churches, and my sister and her husband pastor church. Like, they pass something on. And, and I begin to look and go, well, what did my parents do? Oh, it, it is, it's amazing. And I honor them and I thank them. And I, and I look and I say, well, what? And now I have kids of my own. And there's some things that your parents did really well that you know that you're doing and other things that you may or may not. So I look at them like, how did they pass it on? And one of the things that made such a difference was they modeled it daily. When I was a kid, it wasn't a, I don't remember them being like, you have to read your Bible. But there wasn't even a question. It was, are you big enough to read your Bible because that's what we do. And what kid doesn't want to be bigger? 
Ask a four-year-old how old they are, and this is what you're going to get. Four and a half. <laughs> Do not deny them that half. You're like, when was your birthday? Last week. You're, like, you're not a half yet. Well, I'm more than four. Because <laughs> like, right. they want to be big. And I remember watching, and it was just, it was something that, that I saw them doing. It wasn't just something they told me, hey, I'm supposed to do. It was something I could come down. If I came down early enough, I'd find dad going through reading his Bible. I would find mom right, reading her Bible with her notes everywhere. She would have notes piled up everywhere. She'd be doing sit-ups, reading her Bible, or going through a prayer that she had written out while she's doing her crunches. Like This was just what they did. And when it wasn't just an obligation that they went and checked off, this was part of who we are. And when we would ask things, they would take it back to the word. It wasn't just, hey, I want to go see this movie. No. Why? Because I said so. No, it was, well, all right, you want to go see a movie. Does that movie honor God? Well, all right, well, let's take it to the word. Does this avoid the appearance of evil? Does this? And they would just start taking it to different verses, and they would just take it to the standard, and you go, oh, this is the standard, and this is what you're, you're using it. So instead of, you can't do this because I said so, and I'm your boss, it was no. When we make decisions, this is how we make decisions. We take our decisions back to the word. They modeled it. They helped me participate in it. They said, oh, well, this is where we drew the standard. I remember very clearly there was a movie that came out that was huge. Everybody was going to see it. And I was like, I want to go see it. And dad just looked and you're like, well, he goes, no, there's naked people. And he, he goes through and goes, well, it, Jesus, this is what Jesus says about it. Here's Matthew chapter five. So this is my standard. And I was like, okay. It's not, this is his, he goes, this, this, is, this is how I apply this to me which allowed me to not just do what he said while I was in his house, but allowed me to go, okay, then this is my standard. This is how I'm going to guide it. When I ask, hey, can we go and do this? And he goes, no, well, the Bible says this. So how does that affect it? And then you'd look through and the Bible became the standard. The Bible became what would guide these decisions. And so I looked at this and then I had a really challenging thought. And I started asking people around the office. I said, what did your parents do that you do? What did your parents do a lot that you don't do and why? And I began to ponder this going, all right, do I just do everything that my parents did? Am I just like a mini clone? Like, no, no. Why? What things? And there are so many things that I picked up from my parents but as I was looking at this, one of the things that, that stood out was biking. So my dad biked, or he still bikes a lot, but he used to bike an insane amount. He would bike over 5,000 miles a year on a pedal bike. But I didn't pick it up. You know, why didn't you pick it up? Well, because he biked really far and really fast. And as a little kid, I could not go keep up with him for a 40 or 50 mile bike ride. That just wasn't going to be a thing. So I knew he did it. He kind of modeled it, but there was a disconnect. However, one of the things that he did uh, was he would work out most days in the basement and he invited me to be a part of that. And so I would work out with him and 
as long as I lived in the house, I worked out in the basement. And then I got married. I got my own house. And then the scale told me I wasn't getting enough exercise on accident. I needed to do something on purpose. So I got weights from my basement and I got a spin bike from my basement, which is one of the things that he'd done. And I started spinning down there. And when, when I did, then I was like, is this even connected to reality? Like it says numbers, but are they close to anything? Like I got to go bike on the road and just figure this out. I did. And a friend says, hey, you should come bike with us. And he invited me in. He didn't just do it. He invited me to be a part of it. And when he invited me to be a part of it, I went and I rode with him. And I'm like, this is a blast. And he invited me to keep riding with him. And I, I started riding. I started riding a bunch. And, I, and all of a sudden, I got into this thing and it became part of my life as well. I rode with him. And then even when he couldn't ride, now I still ride. And, and so I begin to put a lot of miles on a bike, but it left me going, all right, am I modeling it? Am I inviting them in to be a part of it? And sadly, there, this is an area where a lot of parents mess up. <clears throat> and this may offend some of you, and if it does, I am half sorry. <clears throat> but if I skipped it out of fear of offending somebody, that would be unloving. So one of the areas that I have seen great people fail um, is what they, they don't realize what they model. And they think that they can model selectively and go, you need to catch what my heart's intent was instead of what my actions are. And, and one of the ways I see this um, is actually at church attendance. Now, you're all here, so I may be preaching to the choir here, but Psalms 92, verse 13 says, they are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. In Hebrews, it says, not to neglect the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, there are two stats that I think are connected that have been shocking in this last 30 years. The number of kids that are walking away from their faith is ridiculous. You know what else is shocking? Church attendance. If you go back 30 years and you go, how often did the average family attend church? It was going to be, they'd probably ask you how many times per week. Now they're going to ask you how many times per month. And it was, hey, we're going to go three. We might miss once a month for something. But now they're sitting here and they're like, well, I go, I'm there at least. Like I go all the time. I'm there every month. I think that those stats are connected. The amount of parents, the amount of families who are like, we are so committed to church unless it's summer, unless it's travel baseball, unless it's travel this sport. And they go through and they're like, well, I'm always there unless there's something else that I'm not there for. And they're like, well, my kids should know it. It's like, not like I'm not committed. But what they don't realize is what their kids picked up was you should be in church unless there's something more important. 
And the parents are like, well, we, we didn't go to church because we were really tired because we had this really big event. We stayed up really, really late. And the kid goes, well, yeah. The, like, kid, the, the kid doesn't end up going to church after they move out. And they're like, why don't you go to church? They say, well, I stayed up late. Like, but, but, but it wasn't a big thing. Like, yeah, yeah, it was a big thing. I wanted to watch a movie. And what they didn't realize is what they passed on was church is optional. Faith is secondary. And so we have to examine ourselves and go, what am I modeling? What am I passing on to my children? Even those that are watching online, is watching online something that you express to them going, hey, even if we can't be there in person, we're still going to put God first? Or is online a way to disconnect slowly? Because it can be used either way. And we have to be careful and choose how we communicate and how we do what we do because we're passing something on. Next, number three, correct and redirect. And this is so important and our culture hates it. But that's okay. Proverbs 29, verse 15 says, The rod of reproof gives wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your child where there is hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. I love that from the New Living Translation. It was just so clear. But we live in a culture that says, you just need to affirm them. You just need to tell them that everything is okay as long as they like it and want it or desire it. And I listen to that and I go, that is so stupid. Let's just be real. If I let my kids do whatever they wanted, they'd be dead. Like, you, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out your four-year-old just wants to bolt across the parking lot. And you're like, dude, you're this high. No one can see you. You are like a speeding invisible bullet. And you're going to end up getting hit by a car. You go through it, and as life goes, there's all these different things. And you look and you go, yes, you want to do it, but that doesn't make it smart. It's still stupid, and it'll kill you. Don't do it. And there's other stuff that you're like, this won't kill you, but this will damage your life. So don't do that. If I love them, I will tell them no. If I don't ever tell them no, it's because I'm selfish. Correcting your children is the unpleasant part of parenting. And there is a lot of parents that are more concerned with being their kid's friend than that their kid actually turns out. And it's, it's, it's really easy to think of this in the hot topic issues that somebody else is dealing with. But I'm telling you, this is in all of the issues that all of us are dealing with. And if I love you, I will correct you. If you have a booger hanging out of your nose before an interview and I just look and laugh or I don't say anything, I am not a friend. If I actually care about you, I'm going to go, hey, you want to make a good impression? That thing hanging there isn't going to do it. Like, I'm going to be there for you. If we don't correct our children in the way that they speak, in the way that they deal with authority, in the fact that we take it to the word, in the fact that they put God first, then we don't care. And it does something. King David. King David is one of the 
legends in the Bible. And he did some amazing, amazing things. He's the one who took on a giant. He's the one, he became the second king of Israel. He took the worst group in Israel. In fact, when he was on the run for a bit, it says that he gathered or they came around him, everyone who was discontent, in debt, and just this list of like, everyone who's dysfunctional gathers around David. But by the time you find the end of their story, these same men had become David's mighty men and were legends. You watched him pour into them. You watched him correct them. He, he sits here and goes, no, this is wrong. Here's how you treat and respect authority, even if the authority is screwed up. And you watch their whole attitude and perspective shift and change. Single guys in this group took on entire armies. Two of them were in different spots where their army retreated and the enemy came and they single-handedly took on the other army. And one, okay, these guys are awesome. David poured into them. David corrected them, but check out what he did to his kids. First Kings chapter one, verse six, his father being David had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus? Or, um, and so, and you read on, this precedes his rebellion and attempt to overthrow his father. David's, one of David's son raped his half-sister Afterwards, David didn't do anything. And so her full brother brother gets mad and kills her, his half brother who'd raped his sister. And again, David does nothing. And I begin to, to look. In fact, when we looked at Eli, it talks of Eli. He says, why do you scorn my sacrifice and my offerings um, that I command for my dwelling and honor your sons above me? Because you're not correcting them. You're not stopping them. Though you said something, you did not do anything. He goes, you're honoring them above me. And in our, when we let what's popular or what they want go, just because it's culturally okay, he goes, you're honoring that above me. And if we want to be people who pass on our faith, we need to be willing to stand up and to have difficult conversations. And some of you guys go, but I'm not the parent. Do you know what a real friend does? Has difficult conversations. Friends don't let friends. Anyone, can anyone finish it? Friends don't let friends drive drunk. Why not? Because they care. Because driving drunk will get, can kill them, can kill others, and you care. So if you're a friend and you see your friend going down a road that leads to destruction and you say nothing, you're a lousy friend, even by the world's standards. I look, but I'm like, but, but the world turns around and goes, you can't disagree with me or you're unloving. You say, what? If I know that's gonna destroy you and I say nothing, I am unloving. And we, we, we go through this, and it's not just in these hot topic issues. When, when my father is here and I preach, I look forward to the fact that on Monday, he's going to call me into his office, and I am going to learn something. <laughs> like, he's going to go through and go, hey, this is what you did. Great. This was good. This was good. Right here, you paused for too long. You used this phrase this many times. Like, he'll go through, and he'll break it down. I'm like, is it fun? Well, no. No one likes to be told that they're wrong, but... 
That's how you get better. You go through, go, I'm going to grow in the areas that are simple. I, I told you I got friends that got me into biking. They will help me bike. When I'm going to go into a race or I get done with a race, I'm like, hey, what? He goes, hey, here's where you worked too hard. You got in here and you were pulling when you should have been riding behind drafting. And, and so you used too much of your energy early. Hey, here's where you weren't as safe as you should have been when you were taking the inside. You didn't have quite enough room. It worked, but it was dangerous. Here's where, and they'll tell me things. They'll correct me. They'll help, help me grow because I want to get better. If we care, it doesn't mean go around bashing everybody going, hey, here's everything you're doing wrong in life. Thump, thump. Like that's, that's not loving. That's not helpful. And that does not make them want to grow. But with our children, with those that we have a relationship with, and it's important to recognize that just because I saw you doesn't mean I have a relationship with you. Just to walk up to everybody, you, I saw you and you have a sin. <laughs> no, that's not, that's not how you pass something on. But when you have a friend, when you have a relationship and I've sat down with friends and going, hey, friend, we've had a conversation and you're telling me about this hurt and you're telling me how you're navigating it. You're holding on to it and the Bible says that you need to forgive. And they're like, yeah, but it sucks. I'm like, yeah, it does. But the Bible doesn't say you need to forgive unless it stinks. I've walked through it with friends. If I want to pass on my faith, I'm going to have to have be willing to have some difficult conversations. But as I do, I can pass on my faith. I can begin to share what God's done. I can begin to be intentional on purpose. I can model. I can invite them in. And as, as I look at this, talking about passing on my faith, there's a really, 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 really important point. In fact, it'd be the most important point. Acts chapter three, verse six. You look at, at Peter and John and they encounter somebody who's begging. And this is what they said. I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You cannot share what you don't have. And as we look at this and go, hey, I want my children to love Jesus. I want my friends, my neighbors, my cousins, my coworkers. I want them to know and love Jesus. Do you know and love Jesus? What has he done in your life? Have you given him your life? I know that there are people in here who are on fire loving Jesus. And there are people in here who know all about Jesus, but have never given him their life. And you'd like everyone else to but you haven't done it yet yourself. And I want to give you an opportunity to make Jesus your Lord today. To go, hey, I want to pass on my faith, which means I have to have a faith that I can pass on. So here, the Bible says, whoever calls in his name will be saved. He invites us to respond to his invitation. We're going to respond and we're going to call in his name. And if, if you say, you know what, today I need to make him my Lord, then I invite you to pray this from your heart. If you've done this before, go ahead and just join us as we declare him to be our Lord. And then, I, then I'm going to ask, who, who meant business here? So every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's pray this. Go ahead and say, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid the price for me. 
I believe he rose again, victorious over death, sin, and the devil. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I receive Jesus as my King and my Lord. I will no longer live for myself. I will live for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.